Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. It's funny, isn't it, really? There is actually nothing different in the coming of a new year. Uh, nothing changes. It's sort of funny that uh, all for the last week or two, people were thinking, how good will it be that 2020 is gone and 2021 will be a new year? And then the 2nd of January comes and Gladys announces you've got to wear masks and we're still here. Nothing much changes. But for some reason, we like to think that that ticking over from 31 December to 1 January, we like to think that it's a chance to start again, to plot a different course. Uh, and especially we like to think it's a chance to look back and see are there lessons we've learnt from 2020. And my hope is that we've all learnt at least one lesson from 2020. I don't mean that in a generic sense. I don't mean I hope you've all learnt something. I mean I hope we've all learnt the one lesson from 2020. And that lesson is that you are not in control. Sorry, it's not like I'm saying I'm in control, but we are not in control. I hope you've learnt to really believe what Jesus says about making plans. See how Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow, today's got enough troubles of its own, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, We can make all the plans we like, but we are not the ones who are in control. Uh, Because that was 2020, wasn't it? All our planned events, all our planned holidays, all our planned church events. I remember actually getting up uh, at the beginning of last year and talking about all the things we were going to do at St George North across 2020, and uh, very few of them have happened. So I hope what we have learnt is we've learnt to not just say God willing, or at least I hope you do say it. I hope when you make your plan, state what you're going to do, you say God willing, but I hope you don't just say it, I hope you actually believe it. I'm going away next week, God willing. COVID has taught us that that actually is true, that it does depend on God. I'll see you tomorrow, God willing. I hope we've learnt that humility before God, uh, if nothing else, from 2020. Because the wonderful thing about knowing our Lord, knowing the one true Lord, is that even though we don't know the future, God does. Even though we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, God does. And because of that, even if sometimes we are uncertain, we can still be confident that God is not uncertain. We can be confident that God is in control. And that's what Psalm 27 is all about. It's about confidence. Not self-confidence, though. It's about confidence in God. Lots of leadership books talk about the importance of confidence. For some reason, as a minister, uh, people like to give you books on leadership. And I find they're really, really helpful and really, really useful for keeping your door open if there's a breeze and that sort of thing. But uh, if you read these books that the world tells you all the ideas about leadership, they all say, believe in yourself. If you want to succeed, you've got to believe in yourself and then you will succeed. And there's some truth in that. If you like sport at all, you know this is true, that the person who believes they can do it actually has a go and, you know, sometimes it works. Whereas the person who doubts themselves doesn't even try and is it any wonder nothing works. But there is some truth in those leadership books, but it's actually a very, very limited amount of truth because the reality is I can believe all I want. I can be totally confident that I can run the 100 metres in 10 seconds. I'd just like to be confident I could run the 100 metres actually now. But I could be confident in that. The reality is it would not matter how hard I trained. It would not matter how fit I got. It would not matter how much I believed it. This body is not designed to run the 100 metres in the same time as Usain Bolt. That's just not the way I'm meant to work. And so this psalm of confidence, don't read it like a leadership book. The message here is not believe in yourself. For those who've just finished school, I'm sure you you were sick of hearing people, if you just believe you'll do really well in your exams, it's just not true. 
Instead, here, David is talking about confidence in God and God's goodness to him. The message here is not be confident in yourself, it's be confident in the Lord. And so as we look at this psalm, I want us to see we've got two headings. You should see it there on your outline, if you're, unless you're sitting on it on your chair, but take that out. Two big headings. The first is I want us to look at the psalm through David's eyes and look at his confidence. But then I want to show you how in another sense our confidence is different to David. We can't just take this psalm and, and appropriate it for ourselves. We have to see how ours is different. I'll explain that as we go. So the first heading, the psalm through David's eyes, David's confidence in God. Right from the beginning, you see this point of this psalm. So look from verse 1. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom should I be afraid? And then if you jump to verse 3, he says, Though an army deploys against me, my heart is not afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, still I am confident. And so David is saying, I am not afraid of anything. He was the king in Jerusalem. He says, I don't care how many armies there are around the city. I don't care how many people are plotting to kill me, how many people want to overthrow my kingdom. Whatever these evil people come and try and do, no problem. This is total confidence. But I hope what you see is this total confidence isn't because David thinks he's the best king or because he's a great fighter, or because he's got the biggest armies. It's nothing like that. David is not confident because he is good. He's confident because he knows that God is good. See, verse 1 is the key. Look again. He says, If the Lord is my light and salvation, if the Lord is my stronghold, then what have I got to fear? So that's the first point. Not self-confidence. That's not what this is. This is God-confidence. Then the psalm also shows us how David grows in that confidence and in that certainty. And he does that by seeking to be close to God. So next heading, David cultivates that confidence by spending time with God. So look at verses 4 to 6. He says, I've asked one thing from the Lord, this is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. David is God's king. He was the Messiah of Israel. He could ask God for anything. He could ask God for all the wealth in the world. He could ask God for all the wisdom in the world like his son Solomon did. But what he wants more than anything is just to be with God. That's what he wants. The temple was where God symbolically dwelt in the Old Testament, where he went to worship God. For David at this time, it was just a tent. It was a tabernacle. The temple hadn't been built yet. But David knew that the God that he worshipped in that tent would keep him and protect him. And so his point is, he's not confident because he's in a secure city with big walls. He's not confident because he's got a great army. He doesn't shelter behind those things. It's God who shelters him. That's his confidence. David's focus is on knowing God and that then gives him the certainty to face his enemies. But even with that confidence, and even as he devoted himself to the Lord, that didn't mean David didn't have his doubts. He did, but he dealt with them by turning to God in prayer. So that's the third point. David's confidence was confirmed by prayer. So look with me to verses 7 to 11. But as we read it, just look for the sense of uncertainty in David's voice. In verses 1 to 6, he's just totally confident. But now listen for the uncertainty. Verse 7, he says, Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. He's seeking after God, but he's, he's worried. Are you going to answer my prayers? Then verse 9, he says, Do not hide your face from me. 
Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Do not leave me or abandon me, God of my salvation. See, it seems that David is very, very aware of the fact that he does not deserve the confidence he has. In fact, he's aware of his unworthiness before God. He's aware that actually what he deserves is God's anger, God's wrath, God's judgment. And so he prays to God and he sort of asks him for the things that he assumed in the earlier verses. It's interesting, some of the experts, when they look at this psalm, they go, oh, it was clearly someone different writing the second half of the psalm because people, it sounds like he's schizophrenic, you know, and it's a different person writing. I think, you, do you not have a faith? Do you not understand the Christian faith? This is everyone's faith experience, if you like. Sometimes we are certain. Sometimes we're bold and we say, like David in verses 1 to 6, I know God is good. I know God loves me. I have nothing to fear. Other times we still know those things, we still know them up here, but we struggle to believe them. In here, we're not quite as bold, we're not quite as certain. So we pray more like David in verses 7 to 11. God, I know you're with me, but please remind me of it. God, I know you're with me, but please stay with me. That's the sense here. But even though there's less certainty here, David knows that in the end, it's God who he needs to trust. It's God who has the answers. And that's why I look at verse 11. David's prayer is to know God and his ways better. So look there, he says, show me your way, Lord, and lead me on a level path. You see, the answer to David's loss of confidence is not to find another God. It's not to go and find security in something else. It's not to build bigger walls or whatever it is. He just needs to remind himself and really believe what he already knows to be true. That's what he prays for. And so as the psalm finishes, you get the sense that things haven't been resolved. David's life is still under threat. He's still got enemies surrounding him, but he knows God will help him. Which brings us to the fourth point about David, and that is his confidence means he waits for the Lord. So look at verse 13. He says, I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. It's like he's saying, I know that I am going to survive this. I know God is going to bring me through this. Whatever it feels like now, I know I am still going to be alive at the end of this. And it's sort of like he's talking to himself, strengthening his own resolve in that final verse. Verse 14, he says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and courageous. Wait for the Lord. And you know, the thing is, with all his problems, and David had lots of problems, and with all his issues, they're actually caused by his own sin nine times out of ten. With all those things, David did persevere. None of David's enemies ended up winning. David died in old age. He handed his kingdom over to his son, Solomon. He waited for the Lord and the Lord was faithful to him. So that's the psalm through David's eyes. But now I want to turn to the question of how does this psalm speak to us? This is heading number two, should come up on the screen, the psalm through our eyes. It's tempting, and I'm sure we've all sort of done this as I've gone through the psalm, it's tempting to just take a psalm like this and apply it to ourselves straight away. We say, yeah, I need to be confident, like David. If God is for me, who can be against me? Might be one way of reading this psalm. And so we turn this psalm into something like a leadership book, like I was talking about before. Trust in God and you will succeed in whatever you set your mind to. Trust in God and you'll do well in your exams. Trust in God and you will overcome your enemies. But God doesn't actually promise us those things. I've just been reading, since Christmas, I've been reading a history of Jerusalem. And it tells the story of all the different people who've ruled Jerusalem. And it was telling the story of these Christians 
who were there and they believed that if they had a piece of the cross, now it wasn't actually a piece of the cross, but because they were Christian and the attacking people were Muslim, if they just walked outside the city holding the cross, nothing would hurt them. Their graves are now all around Jerusalem. See, God doesn't promise us that he will protect us from whatever comes our way like that. Please do not walk into a really dangerous part of town and say to a guy with a knife, don't care, God is my stronghold. That's not what you are promised. You see, there's something we need to remember, and that is that David was God's Messiah. David was God's anointed king. God had promised David that he would sit on that throne and that he would stay there. God had promised David that his enemies would not prevail against him and in that sense it's Jesus the Messiah that David was just a shadow of it's Jesus not us who can just read this psalm and apply it straight to himself it's Jesus who is actually able to walk to his death confident that he would look at verse 13 again see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living see when David said that he was just thinking I hope God keeps me alive Jesus said it knowing that God would raise him from the dead But for you and I, God hasn't promised us that we will survive the attacks of our enemies. God hasn't promised us that we'll succeed in whatever we put our mind to. This psalm does speak to us, but we need to understand it as New Testament believers in the light of the promises that God has made to us. And so in that sense, now I want us to see four quick ways this psalm speaks to us. So the first one is, our confidence is in Christ. So look at verse 1 says the Lord who is our light and our salvation the Lord who is our stronghold if you know your new testament you know in the gospels that's how Jesus is described Jesus is our light Jesus is our stronghold Jesus is our salvation see our confidence is in Christ that's why we sing you know on Christ the solid rock I stand or we we sing about Jesus being our rock of ages the one who we shelter in the one who who brings us security Jesus is our light Jesus is our rock Jesus is our salvation but Jesus has not promised us earthly security or financial success or a place on a throne in Jerusalem he has promised us something far far greater than that and that is eternal security Jesus has died for our sins. Jesus has risen from the dead and guaranteed that we will be raised to live forever with him, what we call eternal life. And Jesus has promised us that nothing and no one can ever take that away from you if you trust in him. Jesus has promised us that whatever happens, nothing can separate us from his love, not even death. See, that is our confidence. That's Christian confidence. See, the Christian confidence is not so much nothing bad will ever happen to me if I trust in Jesus. The Christian confidence is whatever does happen to me does not change the fact that God loves me and has a place for me in his kingdom. That is real confidence. That is real security. Second point, like David, we cultivate our confidence by spending time with God. We just do it differently to how David did it. See, David longed to be at the temple. That's how he would meet with God and cultivate his confidence. We do the same. We cultivate our confidence by spending time with our Lord, but not by going to a tent or to a building made of stone. Jesus explained, we come to God, not by coming to the temple, but by coming to the true temple. God with us. Remember at Christmas time, what was the other name Jesus was given? Emmanuel, God with us. And so we spend time with God when we come to Christ when we listen to him speak by his word, when we meet together. 
and hear his word read and preached when we speak to him in prayer. This is not a temple here. This is just a building where people gather to hear about the true temple, our Lord Jesus. This is really obvious, but it is always amazing how many Christians do not get this. And so they throw away their confidence and they throw away their assurance and they drift into doubt and uncertainty. But Christian assurance comes from spending time with God in his word. And doubt and fear and uncertainty rises up when we stop reading his word, when we stop meeting together as God's people and when we stop praying. It's not rocket science, but it's a sad, self-fulfilling prophecy that when people stop reading the Word, when people stop coming to church, they lose their assurance. And it's this horrible spiral where people go, I'm having doubts, I won't go to church. No, it's the opposite. I'm having doubts, I won't read God's Word. No, read God's Word. See, it's not that the rock has moved. The rock never moves. It's not that the rock is any less secure. It's that we are not standing on Him. We need to cultivate our confidence in God and his promises, just like David did. Third point, David hoped God would listen to him. We know that God is with us. Earlier on, I pointed out David's uncertainty in verse 9. Look there again. It says, David worried that God might hide his face from him. It says, David worried that God might leave him or abandon him. And we all have moments of doubt like that. Uh, Sometimes we feel like God has done that or sometimes we feel like God should do that when we fall in sin. But whenever we turn to God's word, we are reminded that that will actually never be the case for us. In Matthew 28, it's coming up on the screen, Jesus gave us the great commission, but he also gave us a great promise as well. He said, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, the promise that Jesus gives us is that he is with us always and of course he's talking about his Holy Spirit if you trust in Jesus God's Holy Spirit dwells in you and that means Jesus is with you always whether you feel like it or not I always find this so amazing to think about David was the greatest king of the whole Old Testament and in fact for the whole rest of history every other king at least European king wanted to be like David He is the king par excellence. We are more blessed than David was. Isn't that amazing? And especially if you trust in Jesus, you have a confidence and assurance in Christ that is far beyond the confidence that David could have. I think that's the most wonderful truth. The greatest man of the Old Testament, you are more blessed than him. Finally, fourth point, and that is like David, We wait for the Lord. I commented before about the last words of the psalm being David's hope that he wouldn't die. Look again at verse 13. He says, I'm certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. And as I alluded to before, how much more significant are those words for us? For us, that's not a promise that you will not die. It's a promise that even if you do, you'll be raised to live forever with Christ. The verse that I read at every Christian funeral is the words that Jesus said to Martha when her brother Lazarus had died, and it's coming up on the screen. It's John eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. That is our hope. You are a Christian. That is your hope, and is a certain hope. 
And so we wait for the Lord. It doesn't matter how bad 2021 is or how good. We wait for Jesus' return. We wait for him to come in glory and to bring us to glory. And in the meantime, look at verse 14. What do we do? We be strong and courageous. For David, that meant going out and fighting even though he had less people in his army than the other people did. For us, it means keep trusting Jesus. No matter what happens, be strong and courageous. Keep trusting Jesus. And I think that's a pretty good New Year's resolution. Let's keep trusting Jesus as we wait for the Lord. Amen.